So if you would stand, we're going to uh, recite once again what is called the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer that Jesus gives us as his followers. One of his disciples said, hey, can you teach us how to pray? And he said, sure, here's a model. Here's a model. And we've been working through it for a couple months now, looking at the heart. What does it mean? Right. The title of the series has been, hey, are you praying or just saying? Right. This morning, did you just say or were you really praying? Were you really having FaceTime with Father? Right. Radical difference. So we've been reciting this uh, together and we're still focusing uh, really on the last part of the last verse. Deliver us from evil. But let's recite the whole thing from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Maybe seated, right? So Matthew 6.13, deliver us from evil, right? We tied into the first part of that. Where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a heart prayer. Hey, Father, today, today as a human being on this planet, I'm going to be tested. I'm going to be tempted. Father, as a human being on this planet, I understand there's an enemy and there's a world and there's a flesh and they're all dead set against you and me as your follower, Jesus. I need you at the heart level. I need your protection. I need your strength. I need your provision. That's the heart of what's going on in this last line, right? First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, devour. Right. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to understand you have an adversary. Now, that's kind of strange because most of us don't like confrontation. Most of us spend most of our time trying to keep everybody happy around us. Right. So. What do you make sense of this? Our adversary? We have an adversary. As you sit here as a follower of Jesus, you have an adversary who wants to devour you. Like I said before, not just mess with you. Not just, you know, flatten your tire. Not just, you know, delay something. No, devour. Happily. Joyfully. Strategically. Always planning. How to devour you. Devour your life, devour your relationships, devour that you're, you're in it, you know, and it's kind of strange because sometimes, you know, you become you, 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 you follow Jesus and you have this sort of like we're misconception that now it's all going to be good. Right. Jesus is supposed to come in, clean it up, and your life is supposed to kind of go into cruise control until you get to the pearly gates. And then you come across this. And you're like, what? As a follower of Jesus, I now have an adversary and. And, you know, this adversary is looking to devour me, devour me. Yeah, you kind of, it's why it says be sober minded, be watchful, right? It's very interesting because sometimes even if you're not careful as a believer, you want to do that bury your head in the sand type of thing, right? You want to like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. Oh, it's too much. Oh, I don't want to deal with it. Oh, it's, oh, oh, oh. No, you can't. You have eyes wide open in this deal, right? 
First John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Right? So when you turn on the news, you read stuff, you see stuff, you got to understand at the base level, the Bible explains exactly why what's happening is happening. It's the world. And then sometimes... We get upset. Sometimes we get very angry. Sometimes we're like, what, what? And there could be some, self, you know, some righteous anger in that. But at the base level, you have to understand, when the world acts like the world, it's just being the world. Sometimes as believers, we get so bent out of shape, but we forget they're fallen. They're lost. They're spiritually blind, spiritually dead. What else are they supposed to do? Right? So you have to understand this. It's a, it's a worldview paradigm, radical paradigm shift. Radical paradigm shift that we're working through, which is, you know, much more than just reciting a prayer by rote. This is the world we live in. This is like 2019, October 27, 2019. This is real time. This is not theory. This is real time stuff, right? And then we saw in John 17, Jesus says, hey, Father, he's praying to the Father about us, his followers. And he says, hey, Father, don't take them out of the world, but protect them. Right? And we talked about, man, wouldn't it be so cool if you got saved and you just went, boop, I'm out. Right? The old beam me up Scotty thing. That would be pretty cool, right? What happened? Ah, oh, dude, got, dude got saved. He's gone. No, sorry, exact opposite. You get saved and you're sent. You're sent. Great commission. You're sent. You get saved. You're born again. New nature. New creation. He says, hey, now you're part of the mission. Now you're being sent into the very world that is hostile to you. Whose example are we just following? Jesus. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. We're just called to do what Jesus did, right? So, so the question is, how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to do that? Right? Because, you know, like I said, depending on how you deal with confrontation, depending on your you know, spiritual maturity, that can kind of be a little bit intimidating, a little bit overwhelming, actually kind of scary. Kind of scary. And if we're not careful, then we just, like I said, we call them rabbit hole Christians. And then we just kind of maneuver and manipulate our life to we're only hanging out with Christians now. We only go to church. And then we go to Bible study. Then we go to women's macrame. And then we go to men's bowling. And then we, you know, and nothing wrong with them except that you, maybe out of intimidation and fear and, and not knowing what to do, you now, over a period of time, Remove yourself from the very world that you're supposed to be in. I remember years ago I read a statistic that, that I don't know how they surveyed it, but they said when a, a person comes into a church, new believer, gets saved, gets folded into a church, in about two years they no longer have any non-Christian friends. So how does that work? If we're to be salt and light, we're to be ambassadors of reconciliation to a spiritually dead and dying world. If we're to be bringing the gospel, the good news, but all the time we get saved and now we're just retreating. Right? And, and I'm not, you know, I'm saying 
it's not that you don't, you're not careful. I'm not saying go hang out at the bars, and I'm not saying do any of that stuff. And I know some of the decisions you make and I make to not do what we used to do means we're not hanging out with some of the same crowd because that will influence us. We understand that. But that's different than just baseline, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with you. So you don't even have social interactions with people who can even just watch what a believer, how a believer lives. I'm not even talking like knocking on doors. I'm just talking about, is there anybody in your life, a non-believer, that has enough interaction with you to kind of just watch what it means to be a follower of Jesus anymore? Other than your co-workers that you have to be with which is still an important mission field. Right? So Jesus says, no, keep them there. You were sent. We're called, right, to have a walk worthy of the Lord, which means our walk should match our talk. Right? Philippians 2 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Right? Pretty much us. Crooked and twisted. Right? among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Look at what Paul's saying. Hey, shine. We're supposed to be shining, right? I have buddies in ministry who said, you know what? Here's the cool thing. Rather than retreating, you have to look at it this way. When it's darkest, the light shine brightest. Right? Now, the problem with that is if the lights just hang out with the lights all the time and we're not out there shining. And again, it's not being obnoxious. It's not getting into arguments on Facebook. and all. It's No, it's just living your life with the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Just live your life. Follow Jesus. Bear the fruit of the Spirit because whether you understand it or believe it, they're always watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your co-workers are watching, listening. Your kids are watching. Your family. All these holidays are coming up. They know you're a believer. They're watching. They're listening. Right? We're just talking about living and being who you are in Christ. So, we've seen in Deliver Us From Evil that it's a heart prayer. We saw two practical practical ways of how we're supposed to walk. Ephesians 5, 16, 15 and 16 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So number one, you want to walk in victory? You want to be salt? You want to shine? Number one, we saw you have to have wisdom, biblical wisdom. What is wisdom? The practical application of what you already know. Many of you have been in church for years. You come here, I don't say much that you've never heard before or could study The question is, how are you practically applying it? When you leave here, are you being wise? Okay? So number one is wisdom. Number two, we saw last week, make the best use of time. Redeeming the time. Right? Two Greek words, chronos, which is chronological, which is time is quantity, days, hours, seconds, minutes. Right? That's chronos. Kairos, time is a window of opportunity. It's a season, right? So even this, is this right now, both of us, all of us in this room, you're experiencing both words right now. Chronos, we started at 10. 
We're going to end at whatever, 1130. That's chronos. But are you here with a kairos mindset to make the most of this? To make the most of this. See, that view radically changes your experience when you walk through the doors. Some of you, if it's chronos, you're just enduring this. Like school, like your work. It's chronos. Uh, when does this end? When does it start? Most of us live chronos. When does it start? When does it end? When does it, and you're just, you're just enduring life. You're just enduring it. But if you wake up on a Sunday and say, dude, I get to Kairos. I get to Kairos from 10 to 12. You know what that means? That means you come with a greater expectation, qualitative. You come wanting to bless someone next to you, in front of you, behind you. You come and say, I want to go over there afterwards because I want to make the most of this. Because I may not be on this planet in seven days. That's just the truth. We've been at church long enough. We've been at church 10 years to know that there have been people who sit here one Sunday and are not on this planet the next Sunday. That's not to scare you, but it's just to be real. But many of us get, over time, lulled into more of a chronos mindset. Oh, okay, got to go to work. Oh, okay, when, okay, okay. And we completely lose, miss so many opportunities to be a blessing to others to make the most of this. Make the most of this, right? Very profound experience for me, right? Told you, I've shared this before. I have one of my best friends in the, this planet ever, right? Cancer. And I remember that day. I went with him to the doctor, and that was the day that he was told he had about three months left. Kairos became very important to him. Because now it was a set time. And now suddenly it was make the most of three months because you have been actually given an end. But most of us, we just kind of doop-de-doo, 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 doop-de-doo. Wake up, same routine, same routine, same routine. How many of you drive the same way to work every day? Could do it, right? How many at school, you take the same path? Doop-de-doo, doop-de-doo. You know, we just kind of... Okay. And we're just shuffling through life, enduring it, getting through today, hoping we make it through tomorrow. No. If you want victory, if you want a radical change, live Kairos. Live Kairos. Just radically change. And here's the cool thing about Kairos. It's not about you. Kairos is about loving others. Give it all away. Give yourself away. Bless others. Put a smile on your face. Ask someone today before they leave, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Is there something you need? And here's the radical thing. The more you live kairos by loving others, and I don't know how God does it, you get blessed. You end the day so full, so joyful, so satisfied that you were just being a source of blessing. That's kind of the way it works, right? And so we got wisdom, we got redeemed the time. Today we're going to look at two more ways, real practical. How do we live in victory? How do we defeat this enemy that wants to devour us, right? So James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? All right, let me read that again because it's pretty simple. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will 
Flee from you. How many of you would love the devil to flee from you? Right? Look at that verse. Pretty simple. One, do two things. A plus B equals C. Right? I mean, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. All right. Next week, tell me how it went. <laughs> but if it seems so easy, if that's like a promise, if there's like a truth, like he will, he will, he will. Everyone say will. He will, right? The Bible says, that's not me. That's, he will flee from you. Do two things. The devil will do something in response. He will flee. Okay, we got one amen. Thank you, honey. We got one amen, right? So you got to be like, kind of like, okay, wait. That would be like if I say, hey, do these two things and there's a million dollars by 5 p.m. How many of you would be chomping at the bit to do those two things? Okay. Carry that over. The devil will flee if you do two things. Well, thank you. Thank you. Right? Now, context says this. The verse before says this. This is kind of, this is why it's not, it's easy on, you know, it's easy to read, but to application, mm, right? Look at James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if James 4, 7, go back to 4, 7, please. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why is that so hard? What? Well, verse 6 kind of outed us. It's pride. At the core of this is pride. Because why was the devil kicked out of heaven? What was the root of his issue? Pride. In the, in the garden, what was his strategy with Eve? Pride. It's good for you. Remember, we saw temptation at the, at the root of temptation is pride, focus on self, ultimately to lead me to be what? Independent from God. When you and I are tested slash tempted in our life, at the core, you are being tested, tempted to just act independent of God. To lean on your own understanding, to lean on your own strength, to do it your way. Even if you say you know what the word says, right? So if we're going to understand James 4, 7, if, we, if by the end of this you actually want to know how to have the devil flee from you, like radically, like even when you're done. It, this is like, right now, this is like real time again, right? We have to understand what the words mean. So 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. That word submit has to do with our volitional will. This is a conscious choice. Okay, this isn't osmosis, this isn't feely-feely. Oh, I'm waiting to feel it. Oh, I'm just waiting for the movement. No. Literally, a conscious choice, a volitional choice of your will and my will to submit. Now, that's a hard word for some. Everyone together. Submit. Hard word, because in our culture, we're raised to be what? Self-reliant, independent, Man up, woman up, don't need anybody, you're weak, you're a punk, if you need help, right? And along comes the Bible and says, submit, submit, 
Well, that just might mean that I have to admit that I don't have it all together. That just means that I, I have to humble myself and wave a white flag and say, there's no way this devil's going to keep working me in my own strength and in my own effort. Yeah, that's what makes this really hard. Because we came to church today and everyone looks really good. And everyone looks like they have it all together. Just turn to the person next to you and ask them, hey, do you have it all together? Just go ahead and ask them. Do you have it all together? Right? Yeah. But, but the crazy thing is, you look at each other in the room, you're like, oh, that person must have it all together. Oh, that family, their kids are perfect. I bet their kids listen first time. Right? And that Randy and Tracy, they never fight. They never fight, right? And then we look at Mark and Kathy, and Mark's sitting by himself once again, and we're like, I guess, I guess even the elders kind of got issues here, because Elder Mark is all by, and where, is Kathy even here? She's, she's, she's what? She's sick. Okay, that's a good excuse. Yeah, yeah, I think. Code, code for I want nothing to do with you till after church, right? You go, honey. I'll pray for you, right? I'm not feeling well, right? We come to church. We look like we got all together, but the word is submit. We got to submit. We got to humble ourselves. We got to get to the place where it's like, Lord, I need you. This adversary, this devil, he's slick. Man, he is so cunning. He got me again this week. He got me again this week. I mean, seriously, yeah, he got me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't have a what is it? Thousand percent batting average? Hundred percent? Right? Whatever it is in baseball. I don't know what my batting percentage was, but I struck out a few times. The devil worked me. A couple times this week, I was like, "Oh, really? Wow, that was a bummer." Right? It's a choice, volitional choice to submit. And when that word comes up and when that command comes up, your flesh and my flesh just rear up. We just don't like that word. It's a tough one, right? Because it means to actually choose to come under someone else's authority. The word submit is to willingly choose to come under God's authority. How many of you had authority issues? You're not the boss of me. Man, me and my older sister, I'm number three. Man, oh man, my older sister. We had knocked down drag outs. And I don't know how many times I said, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Right? But translate now to adults and God's word, God, this God is good. Careful. And all the time. So why don't you just submit? All the time. If God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, then just submit. Right? Yeah. We say it. We kind of get it. But like, oh, submit. Submit. That's what's going on here. That's why James 4, 7, as easy it is to read and as easy it is to kind of understand, man, this is a heart issue. It starts with submit, Right? D.L. Moody says, hey, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. (laughs) Right? Right? And it goes back to, to help you understand, 
when you and I come to Jesus, we enter into a covenant relationship. This is a very important, this has helped many of you understand why we struggle and even your understanding of Christianity. Jesus says he came to instill the new covenant. So when you and I put our faith in Jesus, we enter into a covenant relationship. We have to understand the nature of that. In the Bible, there's two words for covenant, diatheki and suntheki. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, the relationship is covenant, but he uses a specific word, it's diatheki, which is greater God to lesser. In a diatheki covenant, the greater sets the terms of the contract. The lesser only can submit or, or rebel, accept or reject, no negotiation. For instance, the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. God the greater sets the terms of the gospel. Amen? Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God, in our diatheki covenant, says this is how you enter into relationship with me. It's through Jesus, only Jesus, by grace, through faith, not by works. That's the good news. Amen? You can either just, you have two options, accept or reject. It's not up for negotiation. Okay? When you accept and you're born again into God's family, here's the crazy thing. It's still always greater to lesser. You initiated your relationship in diatheki. You and I are to walk in diatheki. Now, when we have these challenges of wanting to rebel and not submit, that's just part of him sanctifying us and growing us. But what happens is oftentimes we get saved and we slide into suntheki. Suntheki is two business partners or two business entities negotiating terms. So what happens is sometimes you and I, we struggle in our Christian faith because we want to suntheki it. You know, forgive Others in the same way you have been forgiven. Oh. Father, can we negotiate that one? I'll forgive these eight, but can you let me off the hook with these two? See, part of our challenge, a lot of our challenge, a lot of my challenge and your challenge is we slide into peer to peer and we start trying to negotiate with God. It's not the nature of it. That's not how it works. It's always diatheki. And here's the crazy thing. Diatheki can only happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you've got to daily take up your cross. Daily walk in the Spirit, moment by moment. Right? Martin Ansley says this. The primary qualification demanded in the reader of the Bible is not, I won't say not, not scholarship, but surrender. Not expert knowledge, but willingness to be led by the Spirit. You see, this is my biggest concern. One of my biggest concerns as a pastor and the internet and Bible studies. We have this abundance of knowledge. Knowledge. We want to go deeper. I, I have a hard time with that. I've got to be honest with you. I always have a hard time when people say, I've got to go deeper. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, what are you doing with the shallow stuff? but I've got to go deeper. I want to know the Greek. I want to go the Hebrew. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you doing with the English? See, this, this, this accumulation of knowledge and this deeperness almost is an excuse for disobedience. 
What do we say around here with James? Oftentimes, James says what? Be hearers of the word and be doers of the word and not just hearers, deceiving yourself, right? James is really clear. If you're here today and you're just taking notes and you're going to listen to a sermon and then you're going to call it good, James says you're deluded. The Bible says you're deceived. In the Bible, hearing and doing are inseparable. So here's the thing. If you're going to women's Bible study, what are you doing with it? If you're coming to church, this church, any church, what are you doing with it? You listening to podcasts? What are you doing with it? Okay? The deception, and I believe it's one of the schemes of the enemy. Hey, you're good. Hey, you're good. Just pack in more knowledge, Mark. Just more knowledge. But you're not doing anything. And then you wonder why you're stuck. You wonder why you, you feel like your wheels are spinning. Man, I'm really tired. I, I'm sure involved a lot in a lot of Bible studies. Maybe it's because you're not surrendered. You're in scholarship mode. You're in scholarship mode, right? Great example. In John 5, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. Look what he says. You search the scriptures because you think, you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse. Here's the will. Here's the volition. You refuse to come to me to receive this life. You see, these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're all in the Old Testament. They're getting real deep, right? And, and, and they think, that's it. We just got to get deep. Eternal life is getting deep and knowing this deep. And Jesus calls them out. He says, dude, Really? Everything you're studying points to me, but you won't come to me. You see the difference between scholarship and surrender? Right? There's a calling out here. It's like the, the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? Hey, Jesus! How can I, turn, you know, how can I get eternal life? And they're like, awesome, dude! Come on! You want eternal life? Here's what you do. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Oh. He was outed. He was outed. He asked Jesus himself, what must I do? Jesus says, hey, sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me. He was outed. What was he outed? His heart. He wasn't ready to surrender. He wasn't ready to submit, even to get eternal life. Jesus exposed him. He exposed him. And this is what happens when you and I, in a good way, it's a beautiful thing, as you and I grow and as you and I study Scripture together, if you have one of those ouch moments, how many of you have ever had a, me say something through the Word or you're studying, how many of you have ever had an ouch moment where God pierces your heart with something? Anyone? You're like, ooh, ooh, right? Okay, what do you do with that? That's an opportunity for surrender and submission. Right? The Bible says God disciplines those He loves. Right? God disciplines those he loves. And he does it through primarily his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is conviction. <laughs> because God loves you, he wants to transform you more and more into Jesus. Right? So why, why do we struggle? I'll put James 4, 7 up again. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he from here. Here's here's kind of the heart of what's going on here as well. Not only is it that we don't like submitting, just maybe innately or however we've been raised. A lot of us have actually flipped those two. Now it's not that you're devil worshippers or Satan worshippers. What I mean by that is. A lot of us, before we knew Jesus, spent years and years submitted and conformed to the world and resisting God. You understand the challenge now? If you didn't know, all the time that you were doing your own thing and didn't know Jesus, you were submitted to the world and resistant to God. How many of you have ever had someone, you look back now, you're a believer now, but how many of you had people try to share with you and you just blew them off? Right? Ah, oh, nah. Ah, you're goody two-shoe. Ah, oh, nah, nah. That's, that's good for you, but not for me. Right? Well, at that moment, it's just a revelation. You were submitted to the world system, the world values, the self, the flesh, and you were resistant to God. Part of our sanctification process, now that we've been born again, now that we have the Holy Spirit, is to recognize the areas in our life where we're still resistant to God. You're not an evil person. You're not a horrible Christian. It's just, Mark, in this one area, you were so submitted to it as a non-believer that now that you understand biblical truth, you're working through resistance because something that you were doing and didn't care about and was just part of your lifestyle, now you recognize that wasn't godly, wasn't what God's plan. Now you're just struggling with resistance. That's all it is. It's just sanctification. It's just sanctification, okay? So it's not, you're not horrible. It's just, call it what it is. I'm resisting you, God. It could be the area of forgiveness. You know, the Bible's pretty simple. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Why are you resisting that? It's just resistance. Right? It's resistance. Oh, right? And so we get exposed by Scripture. It was very interesting. I was listening to someone, a speaker on YouTube, and he was talking about, you know, social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff that's going on. Sometimes people say, well, you know, gosh, that really makes people insecure, and that really makes people selfish, and that really makes people self-centered. And this speaker, he actually said, no, no, you were selfish, insecure, and self-centered. Social media just busts you. It just exposes you. You were already in that. It's just the nature of social media, looking at pictures and, oh, I wish I had that. And I wish that. that was already in you. Okay, let me ask you a question. All of you who are my age, pre-internet. How many of you, pre-internet, were selfish, insecure, and compared yourself to others? Anyone? It was already in us before Facebook and Instagram, amen? It just manifested itself differently. So when you're looking at it and, and you're like, you know, oh, I wish I was at that party. Oh, I wish I had that. Recognize you're being outed. Social media is just outing you. You're being exposed. It was already in you. This is the whole freedom of this submit yourselves therefore to God. If we're going to actually work through that, we just got to be honest, guys. You and I just have to be honest that Man, a lot of times, I'm all about me. And yeah, I grew up and 
Every time I hear submit, I see my sister's face. <laughs> whoa! If you're listening, I love you. But whoa, right? You're not the boss of me. It's in us. Just be honest. If you struggle with the word submission, if you struggle coming under authority, if you're resisting God, you know what? He already knows. Amen? You're not fooling anyone. You're not fooling anyone. It's like um, the Lord of the Rings. In one of the Lord of the Rings series, they're defending this fortress called Helm's Deep. Right? It's like all the humans or whatever have gone to here, and all the bad guys and all the monsters are coming to Helm's Deep. And I remember this scene where, where the king or whatever, they're standing on the walls and all the bad things are out there. And he's like, Helm's Deep has never fallen. Helm's Deep has never been breached. And they're sitting up there pretty full of themselves, like confident. What they didn't know was that the bad guys had done some recon on Helm's Deep and there was an irrigation tunnel under the wall. And so the bad guys decided that they're going to throw a bomb See, if we don't understand these areas of resistance and things we don't want to give up, that's our little weak point. And if you know it, and if God knows it, I'm pretty sure the enemy knows it. The enemy knows you and I. He knows where you're, where you're struggling with submission. He knows where you don't want to give it up. He knows where you're resisting God. Why do you think those things keep happening in your life? Anyone ever have any, have you ever said this? I can't believe this is happening again. Or I can't believe I did that again. I fell again. I reacted the same way again. Where do you think the enemy is going to attack? At your weak point. What is your weak point? Where you're resisting God. Where you're not submitted. Where you're not submitted, expect the attack right there. That's where he's going to come. Why? Because you're in your flesh. Because you're in your flesh. That's your weak point. Now, there was a video I showed several years ago when we were at, over on Saturday nights, I think. And I want to show this to you because it's kind of another way to look at resistance. Another way to look at why we're so good at rationalizing, excusing, justifying, not submitting to God. Okay, it's a powerful three letter word. It's kind of almost a lighthearted look at it. So I kind of want to back off and let you just kind of reflect on it. But kind of look at the video and ask God to show you, maybe through this video, areas of resistance. Okay. I got a, got a big butt. It's gigantic. I'm going to be blunt about it. And you know what? The funny thing is, I got several big butts. And, and, and before you before you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But i got to tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything 
kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest of butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest of butt can make me think, well, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading his word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden a big giant butt gets in the way. A butt, much like one of these. But I got a farm bill, but I'm tired, but the game's over, but I read last Tuesday, but I got to check Facebook, but I don't like Leviticus, but it's too hot in here, but I, I just don't like books, but I don't understand it, but it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are, ugly, ugly butts. Okay, and there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. That's not my gift. That's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friends. But, 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 but. Here a but, there a but. Everywhere a butt butt, okay? And, and, and the most overused butt of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on. We have a lot of butts. God has given us a real simple word, okay? If we learn it and we share it and we teach it and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the butt, okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a Slim Jim. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it. We start the day, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... Yeah. I think you get it. All right. Anybody here ready to shrink the butts? All right. If you're going to shrink the butts, you've got to admit them. And, and that's a fun way. I, I've seen that so many times, and then it zings me. I laugh, and then I go, ouch, at the same time. Right? And, and this is one of those, right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's that first part. Resist the devil simply means to make a stand, right? You're saying resist the devil is to stand your ground. Here's the devil. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a face-to-face confrontation. Resist the devil. In Ephesians 6, when he talks about the armor of God, where he says that you will be able to stand, in Ephesians 6, that's a reference to Roman soldiers had, had sandals with spikes. So that they would stand their ground. They would stand firm. They would hold their ground. So when it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, it means it's a face-to-face confrontation and you hold your ground. It doesn't mean attack him in the flesh. It means hold your ground. Right? And so some of us, we come and we're struggling and we say, okay, I'm going to deal with this issue. Mark's going to deal with this issue. He comes up and the devil does something and we go on back. I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I'm stuck. This has always been my issue. No, I'm going to do it. You know, and he bist of intentions. I'm going to do it this time. Boo! And he goes running back. 
This is sanctification. Mark at some point goes, wait, it's not about me. It's the Holy Spirit. This is what God's word says. Right? So based on the authority of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're lame, dude. Pretty lame. Is that all you got? (laughs) See, Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted, what did he say three times? It is written. It is written. It is written. That's why you got to know the word. When you come and you're going to resist the devil and you're going to have a face-to-face and he's going to throw what he's going to throw, your past, your history, all the buts at you, but what are they going to think about you? But you've always been this. You stand on the word of God. You stand your ground on the word of God. Thank you, devil. Right? (laughs) You got to stand. Now, culturally... I understand that as a church, as the church in the United States, we are going to stand on the Word of God. We believe all scriptures, God breathed. We believe we are the pillar and foundation of truth. So this church, as long as this leadership is here, we are going to stand on the Word of God. Okay? We're going to stand. Collectively, we're going to stand. Whatever, I mean, we say amen, but be there when, be there when I need you. Okay? But the same thing applies to your life. The same thing applies to your life. You've got to stand. You're going to have to stand on the Word of God. Right? Ephesians 6.16 says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's very important. and I don't want you to miss this. There's two words in the Bible that refer to the Word of God. Okay, Lagos and Rima. Lagos is found in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, Lagos, and the word was God, Lagos. Very kind of summarized. Lagos refers to kind of general revelation, constant revelation, maybe the entire revealed will of God through Scripture, okay? That's Lagos. In Ephesians 6, I only put up Ephesians 6 again. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, now go back to Rima. It's Rima. Rima. You've got to understand the distinction. Rima is specific to a situation. So, we need to understand Lagos. You need to study. You need to understand Lagos. But in those moments when you're standing against the devil and against the world... You need Rima, which is a specific scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit for that instant. Amen? You ever have a situation with someone and you counsel them through a very specific scripture? Anyone? Right? You know what were your experience? Rima. Scripture came to life. The Holy Spirit brought the word, the exact scripture that is necessary for that person in that circumstance. That's Rima. Right? It's not just generic logos. It's kind of like if the devil showed up, it's not going to do me much if I throw this at him. I got to know Rima. When I'm tempted, I got to know the, the scripture to deal with that specific situation. It's the sword. Okay, let's do it. Because I know Rima and the power of the Holy Spirit. I know Logos. It's the it's inspired, inerrant word of God. But there's a difference. If you and I are going to be victorious, you've got to know both. You've got to know Rima. If you're going to want another, one another, and someone comes to you for counsel, 
they're going to need Rima. They're going to want you to be able to give them some wisdom from God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit specific to that situation. That's Rima. Okay, that's why you study. That's why you study. Some of you are going to leave here. You better have your sword next to you. Because before you go to sleep tonight, you might have to pull it. <laughs> you might have some Rima moments. Literally. Temptation, testing, something's going to happen in your life. Are you going to be able to answer it scripturally in the power of the Holy Spirit? If you get to that place, suddenly you kind of get excited and lit about your faith. See, that's the whole point of us teaching you the Word of God. You're just like, why does he give so much scripture on Sunday? Why is there just so much scripture? Honestly, that's all I got to give you. And I'm blessed. Sometimes I get emails and texts from people. It's like, I reviewed every scripture that was in the notes. I'm like, awesome. During the week, they went and reviewed every scripture that I put in there. I give you a ton of scripture because that's all I have to give you. That's, that's all we got here. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. You know, I try to couch it in ways that are, you know, you get it, a video, you, I, all the packaging. But in the end, I give you so much of God's word because that's all you got and that's all I got. Amen? But the truth is, that's plenty. That's all we need. This is all we need. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Holy Spirit and His Word. And I'll throw in the church. Amen? Amen. Right? It's all there. So here's the challenge. What's the but in your life? Where are you resisting? Where are you resisting? Where are you... Submit that? You want that too? Yeah, it's translate that into a but but God but 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 that might be why you're kind of been stuck 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 right that's also why we need to one another you need to find a brother or sister or a couple of them honestly a that you can honestly say hey mark brother i i, I don't want to give this up and conversely, Mark will say to me, hey, brother, I see in your life, you don't want to give that up. It goes both ways. This is the church. This is true one anothering. When I have permission to say, Mark, I'm struggling, you still love me? You still going to be there for me? Because right now I am being a rebel. Right? The church, we're kind of like a bunch of really good passive rebels. We're really good at just nuancing rebellion and disobedience. We just make it sound kind of cool. Oh, that's just my cross. Oh, that's really cool. We just, we're like passive rebels. We're real like sneaky rebels. No, we just call it what it is. You're resisting. You're struggling. You don't want to give up that one thing or two things, right? So how do we, how do we bridge this? Well, let's, let's look at Luke 22, Jesus' example. He withdrew from them in about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see the butt conflict that was going there? Jesus is about to, about to go through the ringer. He's about to be brutally tortured and murdered. And he's like, I'm struggling right now, Father, with submitting to your will. I'm going through it in the human, the human side of me. It's not too thrilled about this. But I love this because he's changed his but I to but yours. 
And I think in my life, in your life, when I'm challenged, I have to change. But I, but I think, but I don't like, but I want, but I feel, but my opinion is, I've got to change the but I to but yours. Hmm? But yours. I trust you. You're a good, good father. You're good all the time. We say it over and over. And in those moments, what do you have to change to but yours in your life as you sit here? Where are you challenged to submit? Where are you resistant right now? What's the but? Are you willing to go from but I to but yours? Right? Let's pray together. Father, we, we started with the seemed like a really simple verse. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. It just seems so simple. But in our time together this morning, we recognize it's darn near impossible on our own. We live in a self-centered, selfish, me-centered culture that constantly wants to live independently of you. But you say, you promise, the devil will flee if we will submit to you. We will resist him. He will flee. So, Father, here and now, we choose to be radically transparent and radically honest with you. Maybe there's just a laundry list of buts like in that video. I don't know. Maybe there's one. Father, the Bible says there's nothing hidden from your sight. And if you know it and I know it, I'm pretty sure the enemy knows it too. So Father, here and now, here and now, I just begin by confessing my rebellion, confessing my lack of submission, whether it's a lack of trust in you, whether it's a fear of man, whether it's pride, whether it's old habits, whatever it is, whatever reason it might be, Father, we just stop making excuses and we confess, confess, where we're not submitted. You say in your word, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive. So Father, on the authority of your word, we're going to confess now. And by faith, we're going to receive your forgiveness. And by golly, we're going to need your power of your Holy Spirit because when we leave here, the devil is waiting and we're going to come to that line and he's going to scream and shout. He's going to accuse. He's going to throw everything at us. But you tell us to stand, resist. So we begin that whole process with confession right now. We're going to... Uh, have a song and during this song if you were to place 
where you want to make it real. And you don't care what anyone thinks. You don't, it's not an issue of pride. You're going to humble yourself. Then we're going to give you the freedom in the physical form to stand and say, Father, take my life. Take this issue. I'm submitting this issue to you right now. Submitting it to you. You can stand or you can even come forward and stand or kneel, whatever you want to do. But this is a time to come clean in your life. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. This is a time of submission. You can stand, you can come forward, whatever it is. This is your time through this song. Father, you say that we're to take communion in remembrance of Jesus. And this morning we remember that Jesus had a submission moment. And ultimately he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so this morning we come to communion table in remembrance of Jesus' submission to your will. Because today, when we leave here, we're going to be challenged numerous times with the exact same issue. My will versus your will. And the prayer is, through the word this morning and through communion, when we are tested and tempted today, we will pause, we will gather ourselves, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will say, Father, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done for your glory. And we will stand face to face with the enemy. We will stand face to face against the world and the flesh. And we will stand upon the truth of the word of God in absolute trust, in absolute faith, believing and knowing you are a good, good God. So we're going to open the communion tables and Today we come forward remembering Jesus' submission to his Father's will. Asking Father in the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that when we leave here throughout this day we will claim victory over and over and over again as we powerfully say, not my will but yours be done, Father same spirit that resides, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. We can walk in newness of life. We are new creations in Christ. And if you're here and you've never made the very first ultimate submission, submit to God's good news. Submit to His gospel. Put your faith in Jesus. Rest in His finished work alone. That's God's plan. Diathiki, submit to his gospel by putting your faith in Jesus. Not your works, your faith. Rest in his grace. So you can come forward for communion and when everyone's been served, we'll take communion as a church family.